next few moments as we look at your word, as we begin this study in the book of Isaiah. Father, I pray that you would help us to be able to be uh, diligent students of your word, Lord. Help me to be able to uh, teach this chapter and teach through this book and to uh, find the truth that you have in it for us, Lord, that we might be uh, better Christians, better children as a result of it. We love you, Lord. In your precious name I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in... Isaiah uh, chapter number 1, and like I said, we're starting tonight a series in the book of Isaiah. And uh, t- tonight, just, just so you understand, it's a chapter by chapter series. What that means is we're going to spend one night in every chapter we're going to move on. Usually other books like Matthew, you know, if there's a lot in there, we might take two or three weeks in one chapter. But Isaiah is 66 chapters long, so we can't, you know, spend three weeks in one chapter going to be in it for the rest of our lives. So we're just going to give one night to each chapter. We're going to try to do the best we can and go through it and give you the material as best as possible, and uh, you know, just something for you to be aware of. There's so much material in Isaiah that sometimes I preach sermons that are kind of like a one-point sermon, and you don't really need to take notes because it's just really one point, like you know, develop a uh, private walk with God. We talked about this morning. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll try to... I guess what I'm trying to say is this. Isaiah would be a good book for you to take notes in because there's so much material. The only way to really dispense that much material is to give it to you through an outline. And I'll do my best to give you outlines as we go through it. But if you really want to understand the book of Isaiah, take notes in your Bible. Take notes on your sheet that we hand you there. And kind of go through it. My goal is with the book of Isaiah to make it, uh, I, I want to, you know, it's been said before, you, you want to kind of put the cookies on the bottom shelf. You know what I mean? You want to make it simple for people to understand. Sometimes people look at books like Isaiah and Hosea and Jeremiah and they think, I don't understand what's going on. I want to try to make it as simple for you to understand and give you the context so you can understand. And, um, and, and I'd like to tell you this, Isaiah is a very negative book, alright? Just right off the bat, whenever you got a prophet ministering to the people of God, they're always in trouble. The prophet, the prophet wasn't like Pastor Jimenez. You know, uh, you know, you, you, you come to church for the first time and you fill out a visitor's card and then Pastor Jimenez shows up at your doorstep with a bag of cookies. You know what I mean? Okay, that's not, that's not what the prophets did, alright? When they showed up, you were in trouble. You know, they asked, Samuel came into town and they asked him, do you come with peace? You know, because it wasn't a good thing. And Isaiah's a real negative book. So if you don't, if you don't like negative preaching, you may want to skip the next 66 Sunday nights, alright? Because it's just, it's not, uh, there's some good stuff in there, don't get me wrong. But uh, let's go ahead and just get, jump right into it. Look at verse 1, just so you get kind of the context. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. So Isaiah is the writer of the book. We'll talk about it when we get further into the book, but there's some dispute as to, you know, some people like to say that Isaiah didn't write the entire book, but we'll show you from the Bible that that's not true. Isaiah did write the entire book. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw, and I want you to know this, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, at this time, the nation of Israel was divided into two parts. For those of you that have read your Old Testament, you remember... That after Solomon died, the the kingdom was split up into two different parts. You had the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And Isaiah's ministry was to that southern kingdom of Israel. To uh, It says he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So it tells us there where his ministry was and the time frame. Those are four kings that Isaiah ministered during the reigns of those kings. Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So we say, see there that Isaiah was a writer and he was uh, his ministry was to the southern kingdom there of Judah and Jerusalem and the span from which. So as you're going through, you know, as you're reading through like 2 Samuel uh, or 
really uh, the first and second Kings and first and second Chronicles, and you begin to read the history of Uzziah and Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, then you can know that that's during the same time frame that Isaiah was alive and Isaiah was ministering. All right, verse two. The Bible says, "Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me." And really, this is probably verse two. Probably gives us a theme of the entire chapter. The chapter's theme is this. My children have rebelled against me. God sends the prophet Isaiah to correct his children, the children of Israel, God's people, because they rebelled against him. And I want you to see a few things about the people's rebellion. If you're taking notes, you can write there. The the people's rebellion uh, is the first point that I like you to understand. And there's a few things that we see about their rebellion. The first thing, obviously, at the end of verse 2, it says, they have rebelled against me. This is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. And God is telling the people, you have rebelled against me. Now you got to understand something about the rebellion. It was misguided. It was a misguided rebellion. Verse 2 says, look at it again. It says, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. Now notice what he says. He says, I have nourished and brought up children. He's talking about the children of Israel. He said, I nourished them. He said, I nurtured them. He said, I brought them up. Remember we talked about this morning, the fact that He brought them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. He gave them all those victories. He said, I've set them up. He said, I've done everything I could. He said, I have nourished and brought up children and they have rebelled against me. He says, they're not only a rebellious people. He said, they're a misguided rebellious people. He said, I've done nothing but good to them. He said, I've done nothing but help them and yet they have rebelled. Now notice the contrast in verse 3. He says, the ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people does not consider. He says, look, and even an animal understands that you don't bite the hand that feeds you. He said, even an animal, even an ox knows his owner, and he has his master's crib. Even, even a, a dog and even a cat understands that, hey, you know, someone that feeds me and someone that cares for me and someone that nourishes me is not someone I'm going to rebel against. But he says, my people, he says, the people of Israel, and by the way, God's people today is the same thing. Israel does not know. My people does not consider. God has given us so many blessings. God has given us salvation. God has given us everything that, I mean, he's given you everything that you could think to ask. He said, just ask me and I'll give it to you if it's according to my will. We talked about it this morning. You have the right to enter into the throne of grace and petition the God of the universe for the things that we need. God says, I've brought you up. God says, I've given you my spirit. God says, I've given you a spiritual family. God says, I've given you everything that you need to live successfully. And he says, yet my people rebel against me. He said, and even, he said, even an animal doesn't do that. He said, even an ox knows who his master is. And even an ass knows his master's crib. He said, but Israel does not know. My people does not consider. It's a very misguided rebellion. But I want you to notice, he goes on to begin to describe the rebellion. And he gives us a process for the rebellion. Look at verse 4. And you can really see the, the emotion in just the writing of the book. He says, ah, sinful nation." A people laden with iniquity. The word laden means heavily loaded or weighed down. He says a people that are loaded down with iniquity. A seed of evildoers. Children that are corrupter. Now here's here's what you can understand, okay? And here's the process of rebellion. And here's how we rebel against God. They have, number one, forsaken the Lord. 
And they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. Notice this. They have gone away backward. And that's how it works. See, here's what happens. You get saved. And God begins to work in your heart. And God begins to give you joy. And God begins to, maybe, He begins to do something. And things start getting better. And, you know, people come to church. And they come to church because their marriage is falling apart. Their children are falling apart. Their finances are falling apart. And they just need something, you know. And, we, and they come in here and we love them and we pray for them and we get them saved and we get them baptized and we start counseling them and we start helping them. And then all of a sudden, they, they get a job. You know, and all of a sudden, now things are going better at home. And all of a sudden, now my kids are starting to, 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 to act the way I like them to. And, and things start getting just a little better and then all of a sudden we just forget. And we forsake where we... The, the book of Revelation says we forget our first love. And we forsake the Lord... And then we go backward. We've talked about that before. It's called being backslidden. And look, you never want to be in a place in your life where you're going backward in your Christian life. Verse 5, he begins to give us a picture of rebellion. He gives us the process of rebellion. Notice the picture of rebellion. Verse 5, he says, why should ye be stricken anymore? That's an interesting phrase. Because here's what he's saying. The word stricken means to hit. He said, like, why should I... You know, some of you, you know, maybe you have, like, real um, stubborn children, you know. And um, I have a stubborn child. I won't, I won't tell you his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But he's my firstborn. <laughs> and he's, uh, he's real stubborn, you know. And there was, there was times when we would, he, not anymore, I mean, he's definitely grown out of this by now. But there was a time in his life where seriously, I mean, we, we would tell him, like, you need to do this. And he's just like, no. And my wife would spank him. And he should say, go do this. And he's like, no. And my wife would spake him. And they do this like 20 times. And then of course, I, I you know, by, the, by, by this time, I'm really upset. So then I'm just like, you're going to obey, you know. And then I spank him. And I spank him. And I spank him. And I spank him. I mean, we spank him like, like multiple, multiple times. And he's just like, I, and that's, and, and you know, and, and, and you know, we do this in front of family. And they'd be like, don't do it, you know, whatever. But here's the thing. This is kind of what God is saying, like, He's saying, why should you be stricken? He said, like, I've just, he said, I, I've already done so much. Like, he's like, there's not more that I can do. You know, and, and uh, you know, now Josh is like one of the most, you know, he's, he's great. He has a great attitude. But when he was a kid, we had to just kind of, you know, really get that out of him. And this is kind of God's, God's heart for his people. He says, you know, why should you be stricken anymore? He's like, why? He's like, he's like, you just don't get it. You just don't understand. He said, you're so stubborn. He said, you will revolt more and more. Now notice this. The whole head, and I want you to understand how he describes sin. And it's interesting because we look at sin like, ah, I'm just doing something that God doesn't like. But notice how God describes sin. He says, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faints. He says, your head is sick. He says, your heart is faint, liver sick. From the sole of a foot, even unto the head. He says, there is no soundness in it. He's saying, you are sick. He says, you're a sick puppy. He said, there is nothing in you that's healthy. Notice, but wounds and bruises and putrefying. Notice how God describes it. And putrefy, you know what the word putrefy means? It means to decay or to rot. He says, he says, when I look at you, he says, I don't see anything in your body. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, I just see wounds and I see bruises and I see decaying or rotting, putrefying sores. They have not been closed. Notice this. Neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. He says, you're just, you've got these bruises and no one's even tried to put a band-aid on him. He said, no one's even tried to wrap them up. 
Look at verse 7. Your country is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, your land strangers devoured in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughters of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers and a besieged city. Here's what he's saying. This is not how it's supposed to be. Zion was supposed to be a great nation. Uh, 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 uh. A nation that other countries would look at and say, wow, look at the beauty of that nation. But he says, you've become a, a lodge in a garden of cucumbers. He said, you've become like a besieged city. He said, he said look at you. He said, the, the, way you look, the way you are, the state you're in, and yet you will not obey. He says, you continue to rebel. And, and you know, you may ask, well, what does this have to do with us? But you got to understand, that is many people today. We go out soul winning and we knock on people's door. And I mean, I've had people, you know, open the door and the odor that comes out of their house. It's just like, you got to stand back. And I'm not mocking. I'm just, it's just, you know, it's filthy. They're on drugs. They're on alcohol. Their marriage is a mess. They're just committing adultery. Their life is a mess. And then you, you, you go to them and, and, and you say, hey, I'd like to invite you to very Baptist Church. And they're like, I don't need that. I'm like, really? You look like you need something. You know, and just the pride of people today. Their life is a mess, and yet they don't... But here's the thing, they don't see sin the way God sees it. You know, I think to myself, really? Because, you know, if you come to church, we can teach you about salvation. If you come to church, we can teach you how to be a good husband. If you come to church, we can teach you how to be a good wife. If you come to church, we can teach you how to discipline your children to the point where they actually listen to you, and they actually love you, and they actually don't disrespect you. And if you come to church, we can teach you how to be clean, and we can teach you how to be right, and we'll help you out, and we'll teach you how to budget, and we'll get your finances in order, and we'll get you to the place where you're actually a productive member of society, and people look at us and say, oh, I'm And you're like, what? What's wrong with you? But see, that's how God looks at us. He says, look, you're, you're, you're sores. He says, you're stricken. He says, you're desolate. He says, you're overthrown. He says, but you don't even realize that you have a problem. Their rebellion is not only pictured, it's also tolerated. Look at verse 9. And with all that, he says, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom. And we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of your God, ye people of Gomorrah. He says, look, with everything that we've done, he said, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. Here's what you got to understand. Even in our rebellion, God tolerates us. Keep your finger there in Isaiah. Go to Jeremiah just real quickly. You're there in Isaiah. The very next book is Jeremiah. I'm sorry, I want you to go to Lamentations. Not Jeremiah, Lamentations. After the book of Jeremiah, you got the book of Lamentations. Look at Lamentations chapter number 3. And look at verse number... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not find it now. I don't have it in my notes. The verse in Lamentations where it says, It is of the Lord's mercies. 22, 322. Okay, thank you very much. Look at look at verse 22. Well, look at verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. And you got to keep in mind, Jeremiah prophesied right after Isaiah. So just right after the prophecy of Isaiah has happened. Verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And what you need to understand, and what God is trying to explain to the people, He says, your rebellion is that you made such a mess of your life 
And, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be rude. Sometimes, you know, I do a lot of counseling as a pastor. I talk to a lot of people. Sometimes I, I sit down and I think to myself, I, I couldn't screw up my life that bad if I set out and tried to. I mean, I, I couldn't think of making all those bad decisions, like one after the other. If I was trying to screw my life up, I don't know that I could make all those decisions, you know. And, and, and that's kind of how God is looking down and he's, he's thinking to himself. He says, you are a mess. And you don't realize it. And you don't understand it. And he says, even in your mess. He says, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been like unto Sodom. And we should have been like unto Gomorrah, which were cities that he destroyed. And we need to understand this. That even in our rebellion, even when we're away from the Lord, and even when we've forsaken him, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Great is thy faithfulness, is what the... The book of Lamentations says. Go back to Isaiah. I'd like you to look at verse number 11. We said number one, we saw there in the first ten verses, the people's rebellion. But I want you to notice, not only do we see in this chapter the people's rebellion and and God's view of it, but I'd like you to also see the people's religion. We saw their rebellion, but they're also very religious people. Look at verse 11. The Bible says, to what purpose? So God just got done explaining to us. He's like, this is what I think about you. When I look down at my people, he said, I don't really see my people, I see Sodom. When I look down at my people, I don't see my people. He said, I, I, I see people that you remind me like Gomorrah. He says, you remind me of, uh, of a sickening, a putrefying, uh, 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 just, just soreness and disease. He says, you're rebellious. He said, you don't even realize the state that you're in. And then in verse 11, he says this, and it's interesting. He says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Now, if you study the books of you know, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know that the children of Israel were told to bring sacrifices to God. And he says, to what purpose? And here's what he's saying. What is the point of the multitude? <clears throat> Notice, it was a lot. It wasn't a few. He said, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? He says, you're, he says, he says you're, you're, you're a people that is rebellious. He says, you're, you're, like, you're, you're worse than an ox. You're worse than an ass. Even an animal knows to not rebel against the person that nourished them up and that brought them up. He said, I've cared for you. He said, I've loved you. He said, I've done everything I can for you. And yet you rebel against me. You don't have an accurate view of yourself. He said, but you're really good at bringing me sacrifices. And God is saying to them, he's like, I just want to ask you this question. What's the point? He says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? Notice what he says. He says, I am full of burnt offerings. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm fed up with it. He said, I'm sick and tired of seeing your sacrifices. He says, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts. Notice, I delight, notice, I delight not in the blood of bullocks and of lambs and of he goats. So you've got to understand this. They had a religion. These were very religious people. But they were insincere. Their hearts were far from God. They were going through the motions. They were bringing the sacrifices. They were doing what they were supposed to do. But in their heart, they had rebelled against God. In their heart, they wanted nothing to do with God. In their heart, just on the exterior, they were just kind of doing what they were supposed to do and bringing the sacrifices at the right day, at the right time, with the right group. But God says, what's the point? He said, what's the purpose? See, their religion was insincere, and you got to understand this, their religion was unacceptable. Look at verse 12. When you come to appear before me, this is what God is telling His people. Now you got to understand, God is the one that told them 
to bring sacrifices, told them to keep the Sabbath days, told them to do these things. He says, when you come to appear before me, he says, who hath required this at your hand? Here's what he's saying. This is what God is telling his people. He said, who asked you to do this? To tread my courts. He said, who asked you to come to my temple? He said, who asked you to bring me those sacrifices? Look at verse 13. He says, bring no more vain. The word vain means empty. He says, bring no more vain oblations. The word oblation means something that you present before God. He said, I don't want you to bring me your oblations that are empty, that are vain. He said, incense, you guys just look at the wording of God. Incense is an abomination unto me. Now this is the God that told them that they were to burn incense and glory to them. And God says, I'm to the point where incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. He said, when you bring, when you get together for church, because that's what an assembly is, right? A congregation? He says, the calling of assemblies, notice what he says, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meetings, your new moons and your appointed feasts. Notice, I, I just want you to see what God says. He says, my soul hate it. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Go to 1 Samuel. Keep your finger there in, in Isaiah chapter 1. Let me show you something in 1 Samuel. See, you've got to understand this. God is not interested in a religious people. God is interested in a sincere people. Who love Him from their heart. But look, if your heart is far from Him, He doesn't care. I, and, and I wonder to myself, because God says, He says, when you get together for the assembly, He says, when you get together for the sacrifices, He says, when you get together to do the things that I've asked you to do, He said, it makes me sick. He says, I don't want to see it. He said, I don't want to hear it. He said, I don't want to hear your prayers. He said, I, I just wonder if God looks down from heaven today at churches and says, your church service makes me sick. Because, you know, we get up and we sing, you know, All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. And God's in heaven rolling as I saying, yeah, right, you haven't surrendered anything. I surrender all. And God's saying, makes me sick. Because, see, you can come to church and you can go through the motions and you can put on the right clothes and you can do all the right things. But it's about your heart. He says, my people have rebelled. And he says, yeah, they're religious. And yeah, they bring sacrifices, but they make me sick. Are you there in 1 Samuel 15? 1 Samuel 15, we have the story of Saul. Remember Saul? Saul was waiting for the man of God, Samuel, to show up. Samuel was running late. And Saul decided that he was going to do something that he had no business of doing. He was going to give the offering to the Lord when he was not the priest to give the offering. And Samuel shows up and he says, what did you do? He says, well, I had to give his excuses. And he says, well, I have to do it. I mean, I couldn't go to war without the sacrifice. And I want you to notice what Samuel says to Saul. 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Bible says, and Samuel said, notice what Samuel says to Saul. He says, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? You know that God has more delight in you obeying Him than you giving, you know, something in the offering plate or you doing some big sacrifice for Him? He said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken than the fat of rams. 
For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. And you need to understand this. God is not interested in your religion. If your heart is far from him, if in your heart you say, I don't really want, I don't really care what the Bible says, I don't really care, I'm going to do whatever I want, it doesn't matter, I'm going to, I'm going to just chase my own lust. But I'll be religious, I'll show up to church, and I'll play the part, and I'll put money in the offering plate, and I'll sing the hymns. you got to understand this, God is not impressed. So we saw, number one, the people's rebellion. It was misguided, yet tolerated. Number two, we saw the people's religion, insincere and unaccepted. But I'd like you to understand because, you know, sometimes we focus on the negative, but there is a positive side to this thing. I'd like to see number three, the people's restoration. See, you can always be restored with God. As long as you're on this earth, you have a chance to get right with God. As a Christian, as someone who's already saved, you always have the chance to come back home. And God is, He begins this first chapter of Isaiah telling the people, you are a rebellious people, you don't have any sense, even an ox knows not to bite the hand that feeds him. He says, but you are a religious people, and it makes me sick. But then He tells them, He says, but you, I have an option here to restore you. And I want you to notice, look at the process of restoration, verse 16. You've got to understand a couple of things when it comes to restoration. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you say, well, I've been away from the Lord. I've been in sin. I've been in rebellion. Maybe I've been very religious, but my heart's been far from God. But I'd like to be restored. I'd like to make things right. There's a process to restoration. Number one, the, the first thing you have to do, and you've got to understand this about God. This is how God works. In order to be restored, you first have to stop doing something. Whatever you're doing wrong. Look at verse 16. He says, wash you, make you clean. Now notice this. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Notice this word. Cease to do evil. See, God says, if I'm going to restore you, you've got to understand this. The Christian life is not, I sinned, and then I go to God and I say, God, I'm sorry. And then I go back and do the same thing again. God said, that just makes me sick. That just makes you feel religious. He says, if, if I'm going to restore you, here's what I need you to do. I need, he says, wash you. He says, make you clean. He says, put away the evil from your do, uh, of your doings from before mine eyes. He says, cease to do evil. He says, if I'm going to restore you, you need to get to the place where you actually stop doing what you're doing that's wrong. But notice, there's not just stopping. You stop, but then you also start. Look at verse 17. In verse 16 he says, cease to do evil. In verse 17 he says, learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. So it's not enough that you stop doing something bad. He says you start doing something good. Because the Bible says, to him that knows to do good and do the not to him is sin. And if you know it is right for you to do something and you don't do it, that's as much of a sin as if when you do something that's just wrong. The, people, the process for restoration is you've got to stop sinning. Stop with the sin. And you've got to say, you're never going to stop sinning. You know, we don't believe in, in you know, uh, that you're just going to become a perfect person on this earth. Obviously, you'll stop sinning when you get your glorified body in heaven. But you've got to understand this. Whenever I preach like this, or whenever you hear preaching on sin, the Holy Spirit begins to convict you about something in your life that you need to deal with. And I may name it, and I may not, but you know what it is. When the Holy Spirit begins to say, yeah, I need to really stop doing that. That's something that God is not pleased with. 
And the process of restoration is you stop, you cease, and then you learn to do well. You seek judgment. You relieve the oppressed. You judge the fatherless. You plead for the widow. You begin to minister. You begin to do something right. It's not enough to just stop doing wrong. You start doing right. Notice the potential for the restoration. Look at verse 18. He says, Come now, and let us reason together. I like, I like that. This is one of, the, one of the famous verses in this chapter. God says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. He said, Though your sins be as scarlet, meaning that though your sins are very dark, they shall be as white as snow. Though ye be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here's what God's saying. God's saying, I'm willing. God's saying, I'm willing to take you back. God said, I'm willing. He said, I know your sins are scarlet. He said, I know they're, they're, they're crimson red. He said, I know they're dark. He said, but I'm willing to wash them. I'm willing to make you white as snow. He said, I'm willing to make you uh, as wool. He said, I am willing to restore you and to bring you and to take you back. Here's what he's telling his people through the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, I know that you've been worshiping oak trees. And I know that you've been worshiping idols. And I know that you have forsaken me. And you gone back. And, and I know that, that your sin has made a mess of your city and a mess of your nation and you don't even understand it. And I know that you think you're right because you're very religious even though your heart is rebellious. He says, but look, I'm willing to take you back. God says, I'm willing to take you back. But here's a question. Are you willing? Because notice what he says. In verse 18 he says, hey, let us reason together. And honestly, why don't you reason and realize that God wants to do something great in your life. If He sent His Son to die on the cross for your sins, don't you think He wants something great for you? Amen. He says, let us reason together. But in verse 19, He says, notice, and it, it always comes back to this. He says, if ye be willing. See, God's not going to force Himself on you. God's not forcing Himself on these people, and He's not forcing Himself on you and I. God says, hey, I'll, he said, reason with me. He said, though your sins be dark, he said, I'll, I'll wash you, I'll make you clean, I'll restore you. He said, I'll bring you back. But he says, are you willing? If you be willing, verse 19, if you be willing and obedient, notice, if you be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord had spoken it. See, God is a very black and white, right and wrong. This is the way, walk ye in it. You can obey God and have His blessing, or you can disobey and have His curse. There's no middle ground. He says, are you willing? He says, there's a potential for restoration, are you willing? He says, there's a process for restoration. You've got to stop doing something, you've got to start doing something. He says, there's a potential for restoration, are you willing? Now here's what you've got to understand, look at verse 21. You gotta understand, this is what happens, okay? This is what happens when you have your will. And you gotta understand this. In my life and in your life, the Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the paths of, of death. And I'm probably misquoting that. But look at verse 21. He says, How is a faithful city become in harlot? Now, under, look at, it's, it's interesting how God gives us opposite descriptions, okay? The word harlot means whore, alright? That's, if you're married to a harlot, then that's not, that's the opposite of a faithful wife. Does that make sense? Do I have to get into more descriptive than that? 
He says, he says, how is the faithful city? He said, you used to be a faithful wife, now you're a harlot. I don't think you should, look, I'm just reading the Word of God, I'm just reading the Bible. He says, how is the faithful city become a harlot? He said, you, you are the opposite of what you should have been. He said, you should have been faithful. He said, you should have been chaste. He said, you should have been pure. But you're a harlot. He says, it was, when you were faithful, it was full of judgment, righteousness lodged in it, but now that you're a harlot, murderers. You see how the difference, he's like, you used to have judgment in you, you used to have righteousness that lodged in you, but now in you is just murderers. Look at verse 22. The silver is become dross. The word dross means it's an impurity or a, 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 a filler. Uh, someone who, who, who prepares silver jewelry, what they would do is they would try to remove the dross so that the silver would be pure, so that it would be the highest quality. And God says, your silver is become dross. He says, thy wine mixed with water. And the, the word wine in the Bible does not always talk about alcohol. I've preached sermons on that before. I don't have time to go there. But the word wine, uh, you know, oftentimes is just referring to juice. And we prove that from the Bible. Actually, we'll get to it in the book of Isaiah. Is where we find one of the key verses to prove that. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, look. He says, your, your, your juice, he said, it's, it's watered down. He says, your silver is become dross. He says, you were faithful, now you're a harlot. Look at verse 23. The princes are rebellious. Talking about their political system. Tell me if this reminds me, if it reminds you of our country. Thy princes are rebellious and companion of thieves. I think that, that would describe our politicians today. They're rebellious and all their friends are a bunch of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts. You can buy off any politician. And they can buy you off. You want, what do you want for you to elect me? Give me, uh, you want health care? I'll give you health care. Just elect me. Everyone loveth gifts, and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. Now here's what happens. You gotta understand this. Here's what happens when you have your will. Everything that you want, you get the opposite. You want faithfulness, you get a heart. You want wine, and it gets watered down. You want silver, and it's full of drops. But when you allow God... To have His will. I want you to notice this. In verse 24, 25, and 26. I want you to notice. If you don't mind writing your Bible, maybe you can underline this. Look at verse 24. It says, Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah. Now notice this phrase. He says, I will. I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. Look at verse 25. And, underline this, I will. Turn my hand upon thee, and purely purge away thy dross, and take away all thy tin. Verse 26, And I will restore thy judges as at the first, and thy counselors as at the beginning. Afterward thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. See, here's what you get. When you have your will, when you do what you want to do, you get the opposite. You want silver, you get dross. You want faithfulness, you get a harlot. You want politicians that are, you know, uh, you know, Honest, and you get Obama. You know what I mean? Like, you get the bad politicians. You get, and by the way, they're all bad. Every single one of them. I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, whatever they are. They're all a bunch of liars. If they were honest, they'd get a real job. Alright? So, just so I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Look at verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. 
And the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together, and they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which they have desired, and ye shall be confounded for the gardens that ye have chosen. For ye shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth, and as a garden that hath no water. And the strong shall be as tow, and the maker of it as a spark. And they shall both burn together, and none shall quench. This is the point that God is making. He says, when you have your will, He says, you make a mess out of your life. He says, but when I have my will, He says, when we do it my way, the last part of verse 26 says, Ye shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. See, there are ways that we can go, and there are things that we can do. But he says, look, we've tried it your way, and it didn't work. We tried to do it the way you wanted. We went with your easy, you know, path of least resistance. Do the thing that's easiest for us. He says, and look where it got us. He says, but if I will, and if I will, and if I will, and if I got to do it my way, thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. He said, I will ease me of mine adversaries. He said, I will turn my hand upon thee. He said, I will restore thy judges as at the first. He said, I'll bring you back to how it used to be. So the question is this, for Israel and for you and I. What do you want to do? How do you want to do it? Because if you remember, before he told them what I will and what I will and what I will, he asked this question in verse 19. I'd like you to just look at it again and we'll be done for tonight. He says, if ye be willing. He said, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do if you allow me to have my will in your life. But he said, the question is this, if ye be willing and obedient. He said, if, if you do what I tell you to do, he said, ye shall eat of the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I'm here to tell you, and I know I say it a lot, but I'm here to tell you, God has every answer for every question that you have. This book can teach you how to have a good marriage. It can teach you how to raise children. It can teach you about your finances. It can help you with your health. This book has the answer for everything. It'll tell you about salvation. It'll tell you how to have a hope that you're on your way to heaven. But God says, you've got to do it my way. And then he asks this question. He says, are you willing? So that's my question for you. Are you willing? Are you willing to do it God's way? Are you willing to cease your old ways, your old thoughts, the way you thought it should have been done, and to learn new ways and do it God's way? And I would pray that all of us would say, like the Lord Jesus Christ, let thy will be done. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord, and thank you uh, for allowing us to be able to study the book of Isaiah. And I know... I know it's negative, and I know it has a lot in it. And Father, I pray that you would just guide us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to find rebellion in our own lives. And Lord, we, we all rebel in our hearts at different things, at different times. And help us to just be mindful of the fact that God is not interested in our religion. Religion is not a bad word. God wants us to be religious, but He wants us to have a heart that's fixed on Him. Father, I pray You help us 
to be the people that say, hey, I want to I be religious and I want to bring all the right sacrifices and do all the right things. But I also want to have a heart for God. And I'm going to just stop doing it my way and I'm just going to stop thinking that I have all the plans and I have all the ideas and I'm going to realize that all I need to do is God's will. Let His will be done. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the book of Isaiah. Help us as we take the next few months and, and study it out and get truths from it. We love you, Father, in your precious name. Amen. Amen.